0: You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set up to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 383. I'm your host, András Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison
1: and Pontus Böckmann. See ya Stock. Hallo. Hey, son, hey, son! Early morning recording this time. Yes, yeah. it is. I've got a coffee
2: with me, hey.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're at Boy. an airport, right, Andras? Yes, I'm at
0: Heathrow Airport. I Ooh. mean, not at the airport, but uh, at an airport hotel. <laughs> <And> <laughs>
1: so I haven't had my breakfast yet. Recording on the fly, as they say. <laughs> on the fly. That's a good one.
0: Yeah, quite early. But I really hope that um, this the building is supposed to be soundproof. <laughs> but I, I can still hear the occasional engine running and putting on a bit of thrust on the building as well, so I really hope it won't be heard on the recording. But how are you guys?
2: Good, warm.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's getting, it's summer, it's going Mm. to be 25 degrees later on, they say, and it was the last day. The pool is on the lawn, the the famous pool (laughs) that we put on the lawn every year uh, for the kids, although um, there are no kids anymore, so it's just me. (laughs) But it's very nice. <laughs> and blame it on the kids. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. I just saw the weather forecast for tomorrow and the day after tomorrow since I'm flying home this, uh, today. Mm. Um, the expected high temperatures in Hungary in the coming days are around the 35 degree range. Oof. Ooh. Which is terrible. I mean, I don't want to be there. (laughs) (laughs) And unfortunately, it's part of how much we are possibly fucked as humanity. I mean, Hmm. it's ridiculous. I, I don't know if you've heard, but there is a recurring theme whenever there is a volcanic eruption that, oh my God, that the, the volcanoes emit much more carbon dioxide in one go than uh, the whole of humanity altogether in a year. And, and there are certain different versions of that claim, but it's all wrong. It's not even close. I mean, mm. like hundreds and thousand times more carbon dioxide is emitted by humanity. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately it looks like uh, it's getting worse. So even though there is a lot of talk of how we're tackling climate change and how we are going to be lowering our carbon dioxide emissions, 2022 is the year with the highest ever amount of carbon dioxide released into the atmosphere. Mm. And we are talking about an average 54 gigatons, so billion tons of carbon dioxide released into the atmosphere every year. And, and it's um, increasing,
1: isn't mm-hmm. it? In absolute numbers, it it's increasing. And sometimes you yeah. see numbers where you can see that green energy is is gaining as a percentage. But it doesn't matter because since the whole energy consumption is increasing, the, the emissions are still increasing even if they are lower as a percentage. So we're not catching yeah. up. We're not catching up. And the Paris Agreement declares that humanity
0: is trying to keep the global temperature increase under 1.5 degrees compared to pre-industrial levels. However, based on that calculation, we have what we call a carbon budget that we can work with so that we can still keep it under that amount. But in 2020, according to a um, paper that was released by 50 authors, 50 climate scientists, in 2020, the carbon budget was around 500 gigatons of carbon dioxide that we could still emit without reaching more than 5.1.5 degrees. But by the start of 2023, according to them, that was already only half of that budget. Mm. If we keep up with that pace, that means we have less than six years to work with. And that means that we are probably very far from being able to keep that up and keep it under 1.5 degrees. So we'd definitely be talking about more than that. And some even argue that uh, we could could reach 2.5 as well. And that could lead to catastrophic results Mm -hmm. when it comes to atmospheric phenomena and how severe the weather events can be. Yeah, isn't this a good start to our podcast? Yeah,
1: yeah, it's like we're <laughs> on a bus to hell, right? We're on the highway to hell. <laughs> People may remember there was actually a bus called 666 in Poland oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that went yeah, yeah, to hell. Yeah. Hell spelled H-E-L. There's been a lot of controversy about it. People were going nuts because that wasn't... Uh, that Well, it didn't work in a Catholic country, but uh, they... Um, insisted on having it but now this week the last bus 666 to hell is leaving in in poland because they (laughs) caved into the catholic nut jobs (laughs) yeah crazy stuff but they're doing it they have a certain humor about it Mm -hmm. when they change the number they're just turning the last digit upside down so it's now (laughs) 669 yeah so there's a lot of humor involved Some (laughs) have suggested they should go with uh, 616 because, according to some sources, that was the original number of the beast, depending on which translation you believe in. (laughs) But the beast evolved. (laughs) Somewhat, yeah, (laughs) moved on. (laughs) So no more 666 to hell, (laughs) unfortunately.
2: And if you... Don't want to go to hell. I would have a recommendation where you could go, which is way Ooh. cooler in the literal and in a metaphorical sense, and that is QED. <laughs> 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 ah,
1: okay, <laughs> it is cooler in Manchester. That's true. exactly. Well, we'll see about that in September. <laughs> in
2: September, <laughs> yes. Just a quick reminder: there is a QED attendance fund. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes, and it's open to anyone who may not otherwise be able to mm. afford to attend. So yeah, just check that out. Applications will be open until the 15th of August. And yeah, just just apply and we'll be happy to see you there.
1: Absolutely. Yes. And you can also, if you don't need to apply for the grant, you could also chip in. You, you exactly. go to the same place mm-hmm. and you can, you can contribute if you have uh, mm-hmm. some extra cash.
0: Yeah. Building the community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's really cool. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. That's, that's what we need. Cool. A lot of cool. Yeah, I feel more and more terrible by the day for having this job of mine. So, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how I can keep up with that without the guilt. Speaking of guilt, there will be something where there's a lot of guilt and punishments were involved are this week in Skeptical History segment, which is also known as Twish. Okay, so... I'd like to talk about something that we have mentioned on several occasions, and that is the Galileo affair, as uh, historians call it. Um, Well, not only historians, it was called back then as well. We have covered several aspects of it, but the probably best known part is when Galilei was forced to revoke his views on planetary motion, especially the fact that not everything is centered by Earth. So... Earth is not the center of the universe because there are several other celestial bodies that are being orbited by yet another celestial body. This cannot be true if everything is orbiting Earth. Now, that act happened on the 22nd of June, 1633, in front of the Inquisition in Rome, in the monastery of Santa Maria Sopra Minerva. That is a church building that was built on a former Roman church, um, Minerva Temple. That is very close. If you're familiar with Rome, that is very close to where you find the Pantheon. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful area, a great part, but I have to mention how everything led to there just briefly. It was a series of unfortunate events, including one when Galilei, was having a conversation with, um, Cosimo II of Medici, who was his patron in Florence. And Cosimo's mother, Christina of Lorraine, who was a devout Christian and very well-versed in both the scripture and, well, current scientific ideas as well, she was very adamant that what Galilei was arguing for, the Copernican worldview, is basically the right one. That could not be true. And that resulted in a lot of debate, obviously, that had to be discussed in more detail. Benedetto Castelli, a former student of um, Galileo Galilei's, tried to defend Galilei's stance in his absence because he was then, later on, wasn't there when the the discussions went on. That led to a lot of public discussions as well, because several different speakers, friars, were giving sermons, denounced Galilei for his views. And that was back in 1614 and 1616. But the first meetings then occurred with the involvement of the Catholic Church. Luckily, later on, Galilei got very friendly with someone who later became Pope, The current Pope, at the time of that uh, initial debate, Pope Paul V, was not very friendly to him and his ideas. But the next Pope, Pope Orban VIII, was very much a supporter of Galilei's. He did try to warn him not to push it too far. However... As we know from the biographers of um, um, Galileo Galilei, he was not a kind of person who took very good advice when it came to not being a bully to other people who are actually wrong. So, uh, it's one thing to be right, but pushing it too far and just making everyone look stupid, that is not always the right policy, as we all know, being skeptics and trying to get the message through, right? Mm -hmm. So, Galilei hadn't learned that lesson before that, and that resulted in something that he wrote, which was very controversial, and that is the dialogue concerning the two cheap world systems dialogo as is commonly being referred to or usually just called the dialogue Uh, well it's a dialogue but it, it involves three characters actually and one of them is called simplicius well that means a simpleton, hmm. so that is a little bit of a hint that that person will be just talking rubbish, and that is what that person does in the uh, the dialogue, trying to defend the old world view without making any sense people close to Pope Urban VIII reminded him that that might be a reference to His Holiness, that Simplicius figure. So that resulted in the Pope letting the Inquisition do whatever they want with Galileo Galilei. And um, Cardinal Bellarmine, who is the most infamous actor in this whole situation, he was the one who led the investigations and most of the discussions regarding this whole controversy and on the 22nd of june 1633 Galileo was found guilty and i quote he was found vehemently suspect of heresy <laughs> so he had to revoke his views and at first he was supposed to be sentenced to death then it was changed to exile and And then it was changed again to house arrest, which he was under until the end of his life in 1642. So I think that marks a very important moment in the history of science and skepticism and critical thinking. That was something that was just utterly wrong. Yet it wasn't said so until 1992 when Pope uh, John Paul II made that announcement that, well, actually, we are now rehabilitating Galilei because the Inquisition was wrong.
1: Mm. Yeah, I'm sure he appreciated that.
0: Yeah, yeah. More than (laughs) 300 years later, yes, of course. (laughs) Almost 400, yes. All right, Uh, moving on. Now that we are talking about the Catholic Church, (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure that it's time... For Pontus to poke the Pope.
1: Right, just some quick housekeeping this week. Not so much poking, but uh, I have to mention that I was wrong last week. I wasn't correct when it came to how long time Frankie spent in the hospital. I said he was already up and about when we were recording, which was not true. He actually spent nine days in the Gemelli hospital and didn't return back until last Friday. So it was worse than I said. So he's, he's getting on there. He had a small minor surgery. He was back for Sunday's Angelus prayer, though. So he's back in business oh. now. Just wanted to correct the record there. And since I have the floor, <laughs> I have a second thing. I just want to mention that Frank is special envoy to the war in Ukraine. Cardinal Mateo Zuppi did pay a visit to Kiev, actually, in Ukraine, and he expressed hope to go to Moscow as well to, at some point to negotiate. As I said before, I don't think this will lead to anything, but at least they're trying to do that. Zuppi is interesting because he is one of the Papabile, which means he is mm-hmm. in the running when people speculate on who will be the next pope. So maybe maybe we have the Pope Zuppi next. We'll see. And then as a Which will not be his name. Probably not. Probably not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Zuppi the first. That would be (laughs) awesome. No, no, no. no. Papa Zuppi. I don't know. (laughs) Papa Zuppi.
1: (laughs) Papa Zuppi primo. That sounds sounds really Actually. All right. Uh, Okay. Third thing I want to mention is that there was a 27,000-word document published last week, which outlines the coming Synod on Synodality, which I have mentioned a couple of times. It will take place in October. Among the specific topics that is up for discussion is uh, the ordination of women as deacons and married men as priests. Well, they will discuss it. I wonder if they will come to any... Meaningful, um, progressive uh, outcome. Mm -hmm. There will also be um, discussions about a greater outreach to LGBTQ plus Catholics and focus on the poor, the environment and immigration. Sounds good. We'll see if they get anywhere. I don't think really so. And at the same time, we can see that there's no mention about discussion abortion, same sex marriage or euthanasia, which are Mm -hmm. topics that are being discussed within uh, the church at the moment, especially in Germany, which is sort of the progressive part of the (laughs) Catholic Church, if there is one. (laughs) So more about that later in September or October when it happens. And uh, this is all the poking you get uh, this week.
0: Well, thank you for doing that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that leads us to the news. Well, uh, news in a sense, because uh, we've been catching up with uh, the the last couple of weeks still. But I'm pretty sure that uh, by the end of this show, we are pretty much caught up with skepticism-related news across Europe.
2: Yes, and I want to talk about a tennis player that we talked about before. (laughs) Mostly we talked about him because he wasn't allowed to enter certain countries. And I'm, of course, talking about (laughs) Novak Djokovic, also dubbed lovingly as Novaks Djokovic. And he <laughs> is in the news again because he not only won a record 23rd Grand Slam tournament at the French Open in Paris, no, he also attributes this win to a nanotechnology patch. Oh. And that's exactly as uh, wooey as that sounds. How he makes money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we already know that he likes to promote wellness, fads, uh, pseudoscience, and um, is also not without reason nicknamed Novak. Yeah. Hmm. And yeah, he said these nanotechnology patches are the biggest secret of his career, and he wouldn't have achieved any wins without this. And it's basically a bit of paper that you glue on your skin.
1: But <laughs> um, <laughs> Sounds legit. Uh-huh.
2: But of course, I can give you a bit of a quote from the manufacturer of this device, as you call it. They say, uh, tau Patch uses nanotechnology material... <laughs> and Of course, uh, I actually had to had to think of my colleague uh, Holm Hümmler because, and they say, Tiopatch is a small disc, one centimeter in diameters and less than one millimeter thick, containing nanoparticles called quantum dots, and that's where Holm Hümmler comes in. <laughs>
1: quantum <laughs> dots, of course, <laughs> with,
2: <laughs> with the hypoallergenic coating. Okay, good, thanks. And these quantum dots pick up infrared radiation from the body and emit another radiation whatever radiation that might be, in the range of visible light, like that used by the low-level and ultra-low-level laser therapy, plus far-infrared, near-infrared, and nourishing UV light.
0: <laughs> what? Wow! And it gets
2: better. These photons exert a favorable effect when applied to sensitive points of the human body, acupuncture points. End quote. Oh, so it's oh okay. And it's an intelligent there radiation go. Intelligent intelligent go. as well. Light therapy <laughs> slash acupuncture <laughs> slash uh, nanotechnology <sighs> slash quantum dots. Uh, and of course, it also helps with pot- posture. It helps with multiple sclerosis. It helps with for dental care, and it also improves your antioxidative defense of cells and your cell proliferation.
1: Wow! There you go. Obviously. That sounds yes. really awesome, P- right? <laughs> He is really out mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. He is really out there. And he didn't even mention the pyramids in Bosnia that he believes in <laughs> yeah, as well. exactly. He is, there's nothing he doesn't believe in. But but I'm pretty sure in some conversations
0: it comes up because that's about all the radiation as well. That, yeah. That, that yeah. They emit. So it's amazing. But I also have to yeah. say,
2: if that would be true, like if that would work so well, wouldn't Djokovic be cheating? <laughs>
0: if you know, mm, yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. That's what I thought when I saw that that uh, like, piece of article. Doping it's like, if, like, <laughs>
2: if it would actually, why doping, would you? Yeah. yeah,
0: why would you admit to the whole world that you are using something that gives you an edge over mm-hmm. the others, which is basically cheating? I'm yes? actually
2: a robot hmm? so, because of this nanotechnology patch.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, but don't mind me. I'm just,
1: I'm just yeah. a cyborg. <laughs> Yeah. Now, don't believe in Djokovic. He doesn't know what he's talking about. So the question is then, should you believe in God instead? Uh... <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, well, I think... There's um, much more evidence. <laughs> I don't know. Regardless of Frankie and the other proponents of some kind of deity, <laughs> evidence is, shall we put it, lacking Uh, But of course, that doesn't stop people from from believing. A a recent study in the UK tried to find out just how many supporters Jave has, as I assume that most people in this survey took the question to mean the the Christian or should we say the Judeo-Christian God. Or even the Abrahamic God. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, the the result, as reported by Humanists UK, was that just less than half, forty nine percent of the UK population, believe that there is a God. The study was carried out by King's College London, and also showed that seventy nine percent of people in the UK believe that religious authorities should not ultimately interpret the laws in a democracy and that one i can agree with mm-hmm. also it showed that 82 percent of the uk public say that they trust people of a different religion now that is important because there are, have been a tendency in the past to say i can't vote for anybody who hasn't got the same religious views that i have but apparently yeah. that is no longer a big problem in the uk so this is um This is a positive thing. The the question is, how does that, what's the trend? How does, how does this compare historically? If we look. Actually, I looked up the actual report. First, I read the humanist article about it, but then I looked at the actual report and it says 50% in the paper, not 49% believe in God. So I don't know what to do with that. Uh, But when we look at the trend, it is a clear downward trend. The study from King's College London compares with 1981 and also some in between. And well, let me just first say that this is possibly the most ugly PDF I've ever <laughs> seen from a prestigious institution. I mean, <laughs> we talk a lot about the importance of science communication on this show. And come on, this is not how you do it. it the, the numbers are fine, but the layout is a mismatch of blue and orange and light gray text on white background that you can hardly read. And do you want people to read this report or not? I don't know. Maybe that's why the humanists got the wrong number there. But anyway, that, apart from that, it seems to be a legit content anyway. So from 1981, the number of people claiming to believe in God has fallen from 75% to 50%. So it's quite a drop. As an atheist, I still think that half the population <laughs> is wrong, but uh, that's just me. But there's more to be surprised about in this study. The percentage of the population believing in life after death, which is a funny way of saying it, really. If you're dead, you're not alive. So, OK, that number has been the same all along. It's just above 45 percent. So even if you don't be- they don't believe in God as much anymore, still the same number of people believe that there is an afterlife. Belief in heaven has dropped from 58% to just over 40%, so less hope of going to heaven. But the belief in hell is unchanged, so that's about 27%, both in 1980s and now. So it's a little bit confusing, I don't know. People's beliefs are not always rational, I guess. Church attendance as well, same. Uh, over the same period of time, it hasn't changed. It's about 13% of, of the population still goes to church. Well, it's dropped to about 10% now, but it's about the same. There's a lot of numbers in this report. I'll just leave the link in the show notes if you want to look at it. And just be careful not to hurt your eyes on the actual PDF.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: it's very interesting how you, you
0: find a discrepancy between the numbers as well uh, reported by Humanist UK and yeah. the original paper. Mm. Well, um, the, the discrepancy of data used and um, well, what, what what researchers are working with when it comes to replication of scientific studies to make sure that the conclusions are right and uh, that, that phenomena that we are dealing with and we are claiming to see there – They are there. And an interesting thing happened, but it was back in 2018, when there was a paper published by someone who had just acquired their PhD at um, Wageningen University in the Netherlands. I hope I'm pronouncing the name properly. And that was discussing the relationship between heavy rainfall and the number of prisoners in Nigeria sometime between 1880 and 1960. That's that's not a problem. It's an interesting question. It's an interesting uh, piece of research, probably. But the problem is that the discussion started going on about how it cannot be replicated because the numbers, even though uh, were used, the same statistical numbers gathered from authorities of the time, were used by other scientists, uh, the same colonial records, the results were not the same because they seem to have used different numbers. Same sources, different numbers. So that's an interesting problem. That led to an investigation and the investigation found that the guy who acquired his PhD based on that piece of research used numbers that were basically made up. So even though he claimed to have used the same, the, the colonial reco- records, it turns out it wasn't that. It was just, just random numbers. Um, so they revoked his degree in 2019. Good. But he attacked that decision and took the university to court. And the Dutch court of Gelderland just recently, at the beginning of May, announced that they agree with the university's decision to v- revoke the PhD, and that's that. Now, they don't name the actual person, but thanks to people like Elisabeth Bick, whom we interviewed on episode 308, mm. it could be dug up. And it turns out that it's a person called Kostadis Papa no I'm ah, not sure about the, the correct pronunciation, but um, there were three papers linked to his name that were dealing with the same stuff and uh, Wageningen University um issued a press release as well after decision the court decision that really agrees with that and says that uh, they are they are happy about the outcome because it's about the integrity of science that uh, they wanted to preserve. The judges even said so themselves, and I quote The court agrees with the board in its considerations that the interests of the reputation of the university and the trust in science in general, given the nature, seriousness, and extent of the manipulations found, outweigh plaintiff's interest in retaining his doctoral degree.
1: <laughs> what did he expect? I mean <laughs> I, I know I cheated, but let me keep my doctorate. I Yeah what? <laughs> That is is, um, surprising that he even tried to take that to court, I think. But
0: what I really appreciate about this is that there was a court ruling that even mentioned the trust in science as a very important aspect of this. That trust can only be maintained with the integrity of science publishing. So if things like that are allowed to happen without any consequences, it ruins the reputation of science. So not to speak of the university that uh, issues a PhD (laughs) on the basis of that. So obviously, it cannot be maintained. Um, So I really welcome this court decision.
2: (laughs) Something I welcome Hmm? is homeopathy in decline in Spain.
0: (laughs) Good. Mm, mm-hmm. We all do, I think. <laughs>
2: um, it seems to be that it might be in decline all around Europe, which makes me happy. And mm-hmm. I think it never was that big in Spain. It probably wasn't comparable to Germany, which really is one of the biggest uh, markets. But yeah, I can only applaud to Spain <laughs> and to the public discussion around homeopathy in Spain, because it seems to have changed its reputation. By now, for example, in France, it even got stopped being financed by public health services. And in Spain, it's also losing its its reputation. And to understand this, El Pais, which is a newspaper, they tried to find out what's happening. And they contacted, for example, the Spanish Association of Homeopathy Pharmacists and the Spanish Society of Homeopathic Doctors and um, didn't get a reply. <laughs> So, um, so, they <laughs> talked with people who are more critical of homeopathy, um, which is like, I, I can only say like, uh, thanks, that's uh, giving us more space then. Mm-hmm. And they talked about a editorial in The Lancet of 2005, which they quoted, and I also want to quote that because it's a very nice quote. They said, quote, The more diluted the evidence for homeopathy becomes, the greater seems its popularity. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah so, this is so so good um, because this is of course uh, referring to the foundations of homeopathy to dilute it and then it becomes more powerful Yeah. and just to give you an example um, it, if we're talking about dilutions like the highest dil- dilution is if you take a pill that actually contains something that can help against whatever headache <laughs> and you throw it in the ocean And then you take in, on another part of the ocean, you take in maybe a sip out of the ocean. (laughs) Then that's how much medication of this headache pill you will get, which is nothing.
0: Yeah. But it's a complete misunderstanding of the of whole course. process. It's you call it a dilution, but it's a potentiation. So <laughs> Sorry. we have a homeopathy yeah, yeah. Uh, proponent and here. Josh,
2: that's that's important to point yeah. out.
1: And of course the water has a memory mm-hmm. and it's yeah, yeah. Other, obviously
0: other, yeah. and it's not just diluting you, you have to shake it or shake it, or, it, or, or it. move <laughs> it in in the right way. Yeah, you have mm-hmm. to shake it, shake it, man. So that <laughs> so that it really puts the Molecules yes. in order. And I mean, you know. like,
2: of course, I like you. Right to bring the discussion down a bit to make it a bit more uh, <laughs> serious, Andras. Because of course, I don't only want to mock it, um, but it's it's hard to not mock it when yeah. when you can buy uh, pieces of diluted Berlin Wall to overcome feelings of oppression. It's just hard oh, yeah. to not mm-hmm. giggle about that. Um, but mm-hmm. I have friends who think it's a natural herbal uh, therapy. And yeah. then if you tell them like, hey, Berlin Wall um, then or Sunshine, then they think you make it up. But that's not what it is. Like, the, we are not making this up. Like if, if it would be nice no. if we would, but... No, it's not us.
1: We're not we are making not making, this, making this, up. this up. The home your pets are making exactly this it.
2: up. And um, yeah. yeah, so... In Spain, coming back to Spain, it doesn't have the biggest market, as I said, but you can, from the law, still get it at a lot of spaces, uh, like drugstores, health food stores, online retailers, and so on. Mm -hmm. It seems to be now, though, that the public interest in it is going down. And that's, Mm. of course, something we can only applaud. But as also said by one of the activists who is informing about homeopathy, Fernando Frias, he said that it's a lot like a rubber duck (laughs) which means that you would never know how no matter how much something sinks they can resurface Mm. especially if there's money behind something um, it can sink to the ground and then come up again and he used the example of chemtrails which was very unpopular for quite some time and now it's back and that can happen yep. to homeopathy too, but we I think we can also be optimistic because we don't only have this happening because it's a fad that's not popular again, but it's happening because we're informing people. And that's yep. why I hope this rubber duck yep. sinks and stays there. Yes. <laughs>
1: But before we get mm-hmm. too optimistic, there are new ways of spreading oh, thanks, misinformation. Thanks, uh, thanks we have, a, yeah, yeah. And it's working, mm-hmm. unfortunately. we Nobody has missed the hype surrounding mm-hmm. AI, yeah. artificial intelligence, over the last six mm-hmm. months or so. Uh, how will we deal with so much potential AI-generated content online? How will we know what's made up or not? The EU has... Well, they're trying to do something about this. So social media companies, including Google and Facebook, have been urged by the EU to quote-unquote immediately start labeling content and images generated by artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. as part of a package to combat fake news and disinformation, especially from Russia, but from anywhere, really. At the same time, the EU has warned Twitter that it faces quote-unquote swift sanctions if it doesn't comply with a new digital content law that come into effect in EU on 25th of August. This is not a joke. I mean, Twitter, now in the so-called genius hands of Elon Musk, has recently quit EU's voluntary code of practice. And they could be fined up to 6% of its global revenue because Mm. of this. That's a 170 million euro potential penalty. Or they can choose to be banned across the EU. So uh, Twitter is its own affair. We we all follow with fascination how Twitter is going (laughs) really down the drain. But that's another story. Then it's not just about misinformation. Artificial intelligence is important in other ways too, so the EU has taken a major step towards passing one of the world's first laws governing artificial intelligence, specifically including a blanket ban on police use of live facial recognition technology in public places. I guess uh, we and the whole world is now scrambling to adapt to AI in all kinds of uh, ways. And as uh, Thierry Breton, The European Commissioner for the International Market put it, quote, AI raises a lot of questions socially, ethically and economically. But now is not the time to hit any pause button. On the contrary, it's about acting fast and taking responsibility. And I think that's right. I think we cannot just try to ban it because it's going to be there anyway. And the bad guys will still use and develop AI as time goes by. So... We just have to adapt to it somehow. I I don't have the answers, but uh, I think the EU is at least trying to do something. Which we always
2: welcome. So Mm -hmm. doing something is always welcome, except for if you're a Heilpraktiker, then you shouldn't do anything uh, and don't be a (laughs) Heilpraktiker. But um, this is just a quick update. We talked about this case before. This is about a Heilpraktiker, which of course means a natural healing practitioner, and her supplier, they were found to have deceived patients that were suffering from terminal cancer and they basically persuaded them to put their faith in a remedy that they called a miracle cure and the patients paid up to 6000 for the remedy that they called BG Moon and it was said that this would quickly cure cancer but of course without any evidence and even after the death of former patients the defendants still continued to promote that stuff which of course makes it even more serious that people discontinued the chem- chemotherapy advice to them and actually advised them to rely exclusively on this bj moon thing and people died you know and the quick update is that a regional court in Ingolstadt in Bavaria has sentenced the natural healing practitioner and her supplier to jail now.
0: Ah, good. Yep,
2: they they're going mm. to jail, which um, I I mean we're not we're not in, re- in the really wrong award section yet, but I can only say like well deserved to that.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. All right. Uh, thank you very much. And um, with that, uh, I'd like to move on to that really wrong year that you just mentioned. So, Onika, who's been really wrong or really right lately?
2: Yeah, I thought it's very fitting in what we call Pride Month to, to give out a really mm. right award. I think we also need a bit of good mm. news after after this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that is that Estonia becomes the first Central European country to allow same-sex marriage. Woo woo mm. <laughs> Well done. Funnily really well enough, done. just a little aside here. When I first read that, I was like, "What? Germany allows that, and it's Central." Well, I think we had a little discussion. I had a little discussion in my brain. Which what's what's a Central European country and what is not? But what of course is meant here is Estonia is one of the first countries that allow this which were once under communist rule and members of the Warsaw Pact alliance Lithuania Estonia Latvia and so on.
0: They were actually they were not only just affiliated they were actually part of the Soviet Union the three the three Baltic states. So that was a much
2: Mm -hmm. stronger dependence. Not only part of the Warsaw Pact, but actually part of the country, yes. But they approved the law to legalize same-sex marriage on Tuesday of this week. And of course, lesbians and gays and queers all around the country are applauding to that. They say, and I quote, It's like the state is finally accepting me. Until now, I needed to fight for everything i had to go to court to adopt my own children and now i'm a human with rights end quote so hmm. there you can see like why that's important because there are people you know like this is for people hmm. and this is just awesome i'm very happy about it this is a good signal to other countries who also might want to do that so for Becoming the first Central European country to allow same-sex marriage, Estonia receives this week's prize for being really right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. And very well deserved. And yeah, love is love. And I have a certain interesting kind of feeling that I would call love towards the, uh, the Baltic states. I just love going there. And um, Estonia being the most progressive mm-hmm. among them all, but um, apparently there are people listening to this podcast in some <laughs> of the Baltic states. At least we know for a fact that someone from Latvia is listening, and uh, that is Liva. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. And she sent us a couple of things in reply to our call for a word of the week or who's quacking so this week we have a word of the week and that word is i'm, I'm going to give it a try and then Pontus can play it yeah right <laughs> so Siba. okay here we go maintesiba
1: mm. oh <laughs>
0: sorry what? Well, pretty good, pretty good. Mighty Tība. Mighty Tība. And there's 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 lots of accents on the vowels and consonants as well. So it's it's very confusing when it comes to Latvian language. But um, I love listening to them. I never understand a single word <laughs> that they say. But it's it's beautiful to listen to. And it means as Līva was was kind enough to explain what it means. It's a compound noun made up of two words. And one word means, the, the first part, Maini means falsehoods. And the other part, tisiba, means mm. faith. So, basically, it really means that it's faith in falsehoods. Oh, awesome. So, <laughs> the actual word tells you what it means. And yet, there's a lot of people in the country who believe on in those falsehoods. Their superstition is very big in the Baltic states, apparently. Uh, well, it, with the exception of Estonia. Estonia is, is always ranking very low in those surveys. And, um, uh, Liva says, um, uh, sent us a link as well to a 2018 Pew research that shows that, for example, Latvia was in fourth place in Europe when it came to belief in the evil eye. <laughs> <laughs> so that is so weird that 66% of respondents believed in the evil eye. Yeah. That is just hilarious. But uh, fate in general is very highly ranking uh when it comes to belief in fate, re- reincarnation way above the the rest of the countries. It shows you how Latvia is superstitious even though the meaning is in the actual word. It's embedded in the actual word. And yet people follow these hmm. uh, superstitions or mind to buzz And we would really like to thank you, Leva, for sending this in. And since you did send in another item that we can use as uh, who's quacking at some point, we're not, not going to use it right now. We're going to come back with that. As a later episode so thank you very much and i'd like to take the opportunity to rephrase that call and say that we are expecting a lot of these coming in so please if you're listening from a european country where you have a special word for something or you have someone a person that annoys you really much uh, with their uh pseudoscientific claims and peddling all kinds of nonsense Please let us know who they are. And if you can send us links to what they say, um, especially with uh, English subtitles, that would be awesome. We would share it with uh, all the listeners of this podcast. So thank you very much. And again, thanks, Liva. Do not be mindisibus, people. <laughs> or I don't know how to say it. <laughs> but that basically concludes our show this week and um as usual we will have to finish on a quote so annika have you got one for us
2: yes and this week's quote is by our friend claire klingenberg who we traveled australia with
0: (laughs) yes oh are we doing some favorism here okay never mind (laughs) and uh,
2: not only that but it's also a quote out of an interview i did with her for skeptical Enquirer. so (laughs) Mm -hmm. um we put the link to that in the show notes but this quote really sums up why skepticism is so important and that's why i picked it out and it goes Scientific findings are not enough. Taking into account that today you can really find a study supporting any opinion, it is our role as skeptics to help educate the public about quality sources, manipulation methods and misinformation methods. End quote.
0: Oh, good. That is correct. Yep. Very mm-hmm. smart lady. Clarice. Yeah, Claire. Yeah, Please she come is. back <laughs> on the show soon. <laughs> yeah, we yes, love having you on exactly. the show yeah we love smart people yeah
2: we love smart people
0: all right smart people i'd like to thank both of you thank you thanks a lot and many many thanks to our very smart listeners as well <laughs> for tuning in please keep doing so uh be smart enough to do so <laughs> and until next week goodbye
2: Bye. hello Antioxidative. Oh, sorry. Antioxid. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Costa <this> papayo. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically including. Well, specific.
2: <laughs> that this would quickly cur- cure. Sorry, Sounds like the name of
0: a, cur- of a band or something.
2: Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 to allow, say, s- l- 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 Sorry.